Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everything's fine. Silence falls, holy night. I'll rest assured you're by my side. For it makes me want to stay while Nightingale takes his flight Silver moon burns so bright Carry me on your back tonight In the guide of your wings Save from how mothers may bring Find shelter, find shelter, find shelter with Hello and welcome to the Food and Sight podcast where I, Kimberly Wilson, chartered psychologist and hungry person, take you through all things food and psychology. And in this episode, I'm breaking bread with Anna Pancaldi. Anna is a singer-songwriter from Glorious Essex who is being tipped as a rising star in the music world. Though she's still really early in her career, she's already toured in Europe and the US and starred in a campaign for Levi's for which she also wrote the song. I first met Anna at the launch of a charity recipe book that I had written a recipe for and where she was performing and I was so moved by her voice and have been a fan ever since so I was really really happy that she agreed to be a guest on the show. In this warm and touching conversation Anna talks about the very early roots of her musical career including getting started and her long battle to overcome stage fright. She also discusses what depression is like for her and how songwriting is her way of processing difficult and painful emotions. And she also tells me the hilarious story of her worst ever gig and how she recovered from it. Anna is so open and so funny and I'm sure you'll love not just her voice, but her too. I'm here with Anna Pancaldi and I think you're almost the perfect guest for the show because 
your name means hot bread. <laughs> it does. I'm very proud of that as well. It's great. Almost sort of changing my stage name to Anna Hotbread. <laughs> Sounds much better. <laughs> and is that is that a recent? I mean, is it an Italian connection, or is it one of those with things where somehow somewhere in the history your name was changed, and or like wh- where does the name come from? Yeah, so it is the family name. So it's not just a stage name, but um, as I keep on telling my dad, I was like, we need to do the family tree because people always ask me about it, and I'm like, I have no idea. Oh, really? And my but my um, granddad was also French Caribbean, so there's absolutely a fascinating lineage that goes back that yeah that we absolutely need to delve into someone needs and, to get um, started on that yeah so it's quite embarrassing actually when you know it's interesting being like oh, I just don't know <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I've put that on my dad's to-do list. But yeah, so I just, I don't, I don't know. It's a terrible, that's terrible. Um, it's, not, it's not terrible. I mean, I, those things happen, don't they, sometimes? And <laughs> it's, maybe it's better to have an interesting surname that you don't know the meaning of rather than one like mine, which literally means son of Will. <laughs> <laughs> like Will Power or just Will <laughs> just <the> Man. <laughs> Horses for courses. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, maybe you're right. I'll leave it undiscovered for a little while. Yeah, but I've, I've got to find out. Get dad on the case. I'm getting dad on the case. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is a breaking bread episode, and as always, we talk about my guest's meaningful food. And you have brought with you some ice buns. <laughs> yeah. So tell me why the ice buns are a meaningful food for you. The humble ice bun. Um, oh, they just so remind me of my childhood. I um, yeah was always very very close with my my grandma, Granny May. So your mum's um, side or your dad's side? Yeah, my mum's my mum's mum, and uh, you know we spent so much time with her growing up. I I actually never met my dad's grandparents, and I don't really know my other granddad. So Gran kind of you know was the only um, yeah the only grandparent we had, but absolutely filled the space for the the three absent ones and I just absolutely adored her but she um yeah she'd always come over on a Sunday and always bring ice buns for us so we loved it because my mum she um she yeah she's an amazing cook and fed us very healthy organic food so when gran came over on a Sunday (laughs) with like sugar we were like oh my goodness (laughs) um yeah baby ones that she'd made or ones that she'd bought no like yeah like the ones sitting here like good old shop made ones but my gran also did yeah she always um reduced also make victoria sponges which i used to just drown in custard my mum's like why are you doing that it's victoria sponge we're like well it just it needs custard but yeah so um my gran always baked and i'd sort of yeah just remember spending a lot of time and having lots of sleepovers at hers just always cooking us lovely food but especially sweet things um and yeah had a very very precious and special relationship with her and uh, which sort of just developed as I grew up into her being a real true friend which I think is such a lovely yeah such a lovely kind of journey to go on with a family mm. member for them to sort of have a certain you know just to be like you know the grandparent or the mother but for them to to grow in to be something more than that and to have a true friendship I think is really special and not kind of you know and not a given so yeah that's, that's really lovely <laughs> is she still with us no, yeah. she's sadly not. Yeah, we lost her last December, which oh, was gosh. just, yeah, really, really sad. Um, but, you know, I'm so thankful. She was, you know, she was 93 years old and she was just the most jolliest, brightest, kindest woman. And I really, you know, um, yeah, 
my my parents moved up to the Orkney Islands a few years ago. My gran went with them and I had gotten back from spending three months in Los Angeles. And so the last time I saw her, we had a precious few days. Um, I flew up and got a hire car and we spent a couple of days driving around Orkney mainland, going to the beaches and drinking tea and, um, you know, just had some wonderful times together, pushing her around a little bit too quickly in her wheelchair, which she loved. <laughs> Lots of giggles. Don't worry, Gran, you'll be fine. Giggling away. Um, but yeah. Dear Granny May. <laughs> Dear Granny May, thank you for sharing that. That's really lovely. Mm. And so there are two things, really. So, And you can choose where we go with this. So the one thing is that you've bought them, but you're not eating them. So there's an interesting story <laughs> in that. Um, and also, you know, it occurred to me, of course, that your Granny May would be incredibly proud of you and the work that you're doing and, and to share with the audience what you do do. And, and you, know, you spoke about having a stage name. So obviously you're on stage somewhere. But where do you want to take it from there? I think yeah, let's let's carry on with old yeah, dear Granny Granny May and kind of yeah, what I do. Okay. Um and uh, yeah, so I'm a, a singer songwriter, um and it's kind of yeah, you know, my dad um spent a lot of his youth singing and performed for a very long time and so I kind of feel that I you know, got my voice from him. I mean, I've definitely got quite a low voice, so I definitely, <laughs> definitely got that from my dad, not my mother. <laughs> um, and kind of feel, you know, that music has just very much been a part of a part of me. And I know that so many creatives sort of say that they kind of feel that they've grown with it, sort of in their blood. And but I, yeah, I kind of also feel like that too. And I've been performing from a very, very, a very young age. How young? I just don't know. I just always, always sang. Um, Were you that kid? (laughs) I was that kid that everyone in class was like, can you stop singing now? You know, when you think people are like, oh, it's great to have like a good singer in the class. After a while, people are like, okay, but like there's a level of how much we want to hear you. (laughs) We know you're good, Anna. All right. (laughs) Um, So, you know, not, not, you know, bursting into song, standing on tabletops in primary school, but just, you know, just always humming and singing along to things. And um, so I don't really feel like it was something that I ever discovered. It just was always there. And I was sort of gently encouraged in school to sing. I remember singing My My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion on the school mound in primary school. Which is a beautiful moment for me. (laughs) Yeah, special, special moments. Um, Yeah, so it's good, you know, humble, humble beginnings. And then sort of had, you know, I mean, that is a full on, uh, that's a full on diva song. And the idea of, how old were you? Oh, I mean, I was in primary school. I don't know. I must have been nine nine year old. Standing on a mound. (laughs) Singing an iconic ballad. I mean, I cannot belt like that. So it was like, Calm Celine Dion, you know? Like if Celine Dion, I don't know. Maybe Celine in the morning, just Celine, pottering yeah, around. in the morning, but more like 4am, you know, because <laughs> I feel like even her by five, she's like, I'm ready. That's fantastic. <laughs> and, yeah, and so I had an amazing singing teacher who kind of just sort of helped me kind of develop my voice a little bit. And Can I ask, as someone who's never had singing lessons, like what... What do they teach you? What is what, what do you learn in a singing lesson? What do you mean develop your voice? Yeah, so I think at the time, you're very young, so you'll always do vocal warm-ups, which are always brilliant for just... You know, if you don't do vocal warm-ups, you're not seeing very often. Like, your voice will start to sound 
not as nice as it does when it's warmed up. So like for me, you know, I've come back from being on tour for a month and my voice is very, very warm. Like it, you know, it sounds like it's been singing for a month, but say if I'm hiding away writing for a few months and I'm not singing, when I go to sing, like it's not the nicest sound. So it's um, it's funny how, you know, important it is to keep the voice warmed up. So yeah, so you sort of learn those sorts of techniques and then you know in the rudimentary stages you sort of just pick a song that you want to sing and they'll sort of you know if you're straining or whatever you'll focus on that and um but I think for me at that time it was more about sort of finding confidence and because uh yeah so I'd kind of gone from performing in school and kind of got used to you know I was the lead in a play called Papa Panov I'd sing on stage and then one day my teacher was like why don't you do a competition and so, you know, I sort of thought nothing of it. Went to go and sing Edelweiss in Sobri Town Hall. And then, um, yeah, just totally burst into tears and couldn't sing the song. I sort of, sort of stood there a bit paralysed. And uh, remember very vividly that the audience and my mum and the people that were there started singing to help me. Um, and then, you know, from then, it was the start of a really long journey of me sort of um, dealing with stage fright for a very, very long time. And sort of, yeah, just very strange to have gone from being confident on stage, but then being in the setting of it being a competition mm. uh, just sort of really threw me off course. Um, so, so was it the case that you had always wanted to sing or that you just you knew you could you know, because this, this thing about stage fright is, is quite interesting. It, mm. it doesn't sound as if what was happening was that you felt like, you know, you were destined to be on the stage and you desperately wanted to be in, in front of people because that anxiety that came over you in the competition is something different. But how do you understand that? Was Yeah, I think and actually it's a really interesting question that I've never asked myself is, you know, at that young age, I feel like some people just know that this is what they're going to spend their life doing. And at that age, I didn't know that. It was something that I liked to do. I liked having singing lessons. But I don't know that if you'd asked me at that age if I wanted to. That's been like my career. I'm not sure what the answer would have been, actually. But the competition, it just, I think it applied a new pressure for me that I just wasn't used to even though I'd performed the same amount of people but really in that moment it just um that was it and I could not perform in front of people anymore um and you know I always I love it when I listen to podcasts people remember their journey so well and like all the ages and I'm like I just feel like people are lying sometimes because I just can't I don't basically I don't remember but it was before I moved to Cape Town and I moved there when I was 12 so Okay. maybe sort of nine around around nine but definitely before high school anyway and my teacher had then been like right we need to let's go to another competition let's try and do it again and so I was like okay and I just got there and looked in the room and just shuddered and, and left and just couldn't do it do you remember what the feeling was I know it was a long time ago but do you remember the no it was just terror I just was absolutely petrified of getting back up on that stage and singing and I think when you when you've sort of not allowed yourself, but when you've been that vulnerable on stage and you've been in tears, you know, you don't forget that. And so then I think part of it becomes, you know, part of it, it had to then have just, you know, also been, you know, that I was scared that I would just cry again because I knew that I could perform mm. because I'd done that for so long before. So it was just a very strange, it was a very strange moment. But yeah, it was, you know, then lead up then to doing a performance with just fill me with terror 
and uh, and it wasn't until we moved out to Cape Town with my family that I had just the most wonderful singing teacher and it was absolutely no disservice to my teacher that I had before he was brilliant and I, I loved him and it was good for him to encourage me and push me to do new things so it was um you know, it was just unfortunate. But then, yeah, I moved to South Africa and um, Gavin just was like, you know, you just have such a talent, Anna, and we can't, you know, we've got to kind of get this out of you. And yeah, and then over years and years of kind of just lessons with him and doing performances again just at high school, um, I managed to start performing in front of people. But, you know, I, I cried in front of people. I did the same thing. But the difference was with Gavin, he just, you know, I was incredibly stubborn. I'm very, very scared, but he was just slightly more stubborn than I was. And he was like, Anna, he was like, it's like falling off a horse. You've got to get straight back up and and I would fight it. And, but he honestly really didn't give me a choice. And I think had I not had someone as strong as him to push me, you know, in the right amount, it was tough love, but it wasn't too much. Um, I just don't know really where I would have been today because that fear really just hung over me with such strength that I don't, I, well, I know that I didn't have it within me to, to pull myself out of that, um, out of that fear. And and so it was, because that's really interesting because it sounds like what you did was, it was just persistent uh, trying again mm. and kind of re-exposure, re-exposure, re-exposure yeah. to that, same, we might call it the stimulus or the same environment, yeah. rather than perhaps the alternative, obviously as a psychologist, would be like kind of exploring what the fear was about and anything that was coming up. So you didn't have any kind of intervention of that kind? No, none, none mm. at all. It was just sort of, right, you know, you're still at school. And there were yeah. small things, you know, it was yeah, yeah. seen for school productions or teachers were leaving and we'd do a little tea. And even that, I just, for months, I would, you know, I remember when we moved to South Africa and my school friends had heard that I sang or whatever and I remember sitting in my best friend's room Tammy and um, Tammy's room and I was like right we need to close the curtains you need to face the wall put your hands in your ears close your eyes and at some point you can just remove your fingers from your ears when I don't know you're listening like that that was like it was terrible so bad but anyway after so when I was 15 we moved back to the UK and it was sort of a really poignant moment because just before I came back my singing teacher had encouraged me to go and sing at a singing competition um and it was just a very yeah a very special moment because I managed to get through that singing competition um, you know in the place where the fear had originated um and I got a distinction and I sang my song and kind of you know left South Africa feeling like I had really you know, I'd um, beaten that fear down and, you know, and not had to face the other alternative of, of not overcoming that and not performing, which would have changed the whole course of my life. Um, so, yeah. But you weren't in South Africa for very long then. It was just three years we lived there. Why yeah. was it that you, can you say, why you went out and then came back? Yeah, so just um, my dad was working there. Okay. So um, it was sort of, I remember being hugely excited at the prospect of moving out I kind of I like school when I was younger but I didn't love it I wasn't not that you need to be popular to enjoy school but I just yeah but I was sort of below even being popular so I just it was for me because you sang too much because I sang too (laughs) and I talked too much I was just too loud they were like get her out 
Plus, maybe I had more gel pens than some of my <laughs> some of my fellow students. They didn't like that. Um, but no, so um, yeah. So my dad moved out there, and he sort of was like, you know, do you guys want to move out? He'd lived there for a year, and we were totally up for it. And you know, you sort of think at twelve years old, mm-hmm. that's the time when you've really, you know, made your, you know, some really good friendships, and you're um, just very tied to where you live. And no, I was absolutely up for it and I was like yes dad it was like you, know, you were there at the door with your backpack like I'm ready I was like let's go and I just remember arriving and we'd obviously go and have holidays to see dad there and stuff and um I just always remember so clearly driving out of Cape Town into Hout Bay where we lived with just the beach boys playing in the car driving along the coastal road with my family and um that three years that we live there have been some of the happiest of my life and um there was a real sense of being able to be a child in that time which sounds silly because you're like well of course you're a child at 12 but as we all know growing up Mm. now is very very different and you know we finished school at two and you'd go and hang out on the beach you'll go and swim in your mate's pool but not none of us wore makeup we didn't care what we wore we were always walking around bare feet and just there was a yeah Much there was a real freedom yeah um and you know our whole family the time that we spent there i mean yeah it's I've, we moved back in 2004 so we've lived back here for 14 years and our entire family made our deep deep friendships with people that we're still best friends with now so yeah go to cape town if you haven't been <laughs> it's a very special place <laughs> so you came back at 15 you just aced the competition on the way back so what happened then you're back in the UK and at that point have you decided okay this is what I'm going to do was it still something that you were just good at talented at and had some options to pursue if you wanted to yeah so I think for me I knew that I wanted to pursue it pursue music and see where that might lead me um so yes we moved back I was depressed because I just I, I never wanted to move back from mm. South Africa and, and it's all fine now but it took me a very long time to you know it's just the reverse of what you would expect it to be um and How I long did you feel like that for just years I just really um for me it was the first time I felt like I really belonged somewhere and I'd truly made best friends and had yeah, I just, um, I was really just loving life in a way that I hadn't experienced before. Um, everything kind of made sense to me. So yeah, so we moved back, enrolled, well, finished homeschooling, doing my GCSEs. I mean, I've literally got barely any GCSEs to mind. <laughs> all qualifications, we kind of, my mum was quite relaxed. I mean, she's not a hippie at all, but we when we were there, we, yeah, I kind of got the necessary amount of GCSEs for me to go to college um, I was I was definitely a year behind, but I was kind of having this amazing life experience of living there. So yeah, I'm not someone that's kind of you know I don't have a degree. I didn't get you know I think I got five GCSEs or something, not very many. Um, and then enrolled at music college and started out on that whole journey. And still, definitely for me, it took me a long time to know that I truly wanted a a proper career in music and to feel like you know, as well, not to feel, but to have that tunnel vision, to not question it in any way. I came to that a lot later on. So, mm-hmm. you know, I spent two years in college, started the music degree, and then dropped out of that. So I got my diploma in music. Um, and, and that two years there was really important in me gaining confidence on stage, because although I could perform in front of people, I 
I couldn't speak with an audience. I was just very awkward and would just sort of stand there. And so for stage presence, that was something that I really learned in college. I, that hadn't even occurred to me that the the other aspects of being on stage mm-hmm. is about building that rapport or having yes. a conversation with the audience. Um, and it's not just about having a talent getting up there and singing. No, it's not. And it's, you know, that's really, really, it's really hard to get that... Mm. When you're with an audience, you know, sometimes people respond, sometimes people don't, and it's a different crowd all the time. So there's not a way really of ever kind of getting used to it. So so I moved back and I was doing covers gigs sort of at the same time as being at college. I hadn't even properly started writing music. So I was like 17, 18 at that point. And I remember Robert Castellani used to accompany me on guitar and then I'd sing the cover and then he'd stand in front of the microphone and do the talking for me. Like, it's quite an odd thing to look at. You're like, why doesn't she just talk? Like, can she only sing? Like, if she starts, like, if she starts to say something normal, if she got to sing it, like, thank you for coming to our gig. Um, <laughs> your life is a constant musical. Yeah, just, you know, I do, I, that is not, that's a terrible, terrible sound. I sing much better than that. Um, but yeah, and um, sort of, you know, dived into that and, and, and were you making money then or was that more about again building experience and confidence yeah a little bit of money but not much so basically yeah I dropped out of uni decided that that wasn't the right thing for me I wanted to improve on my songwriting and my performing which I didn't felt was focused enough on the particular course so I left and then um just sort of some stuff you know unforeseeable things sort of happened in life that sort of slowed me down for a little while but I just I ended up nannying for a while and I moved out of home nannied but again really wasn't focused on music and I just clearly remember having this moment in 2011 where I just was sat there going like Anna what are you doing with your life you know like if you want to if you want to sing and you want to write and you want to be a performer, you absolutely have to throw yourself into this 100%. You can't be lukewarm about it. You can't be sort of looking left and right. It's forward and you run with it and you take off and you fly. And um, so you had to commit to yourself in a way. It's kind of committing both to your dream, but also to pushing yourself in order to, yes. to try to achieve it because I just I think up until that point I've just been very half-hearted about it and I can't explain why I don't I don't know why and actually for me now I really wish that I had been one of those kids that sort of have been talented but also knew what they wanted and they got on with it a lot younger so it's it's not a regret but I just yeah I would have liked to have got tucked in a bit younger and uh yeah and so then I decided I sort of left my job and um sort of left the nannying sold my car left my flat and just decided to go and travel around the world for nine months and I just took a little guitar with me and I was like right this is you know this marks the start of of my career and um okay let's roll back though because when you say I just decided to go traveling around the world like mm. there are logistics to that <laughs> how does one just decide to go and travel around the world and how do you organize something like that what what did that actually look like yeah so I only booked my flights two months before I went I yeah so I, I moved out of my flat I'd bought a car and with the my nannying I've always been good at saving money I've always liked saving money um so I'd sort of not been I guess you're 
average person that just wants to just spend it all on clothes and makeup and other things. Um, so I had had, had had some money saved, but I'd had a little golf that I paid off in a year, and that was worth about six grand. So I knew that I could I could go, you know, straight away. Um, and my friend, luckily at the time, had kind of wanted to go away, so we'd within two months plan this trip. Got our little Lonely Planet books, arrived in Nepal, and to our you know complete confusion, we're like, why is Nepal not in the Southeast Asia Lonely Planet book? Like we're so confused. <laughs> like this is going to tell us where to eat, where to stay. We're like, yes, okay, yeah, Nepal is not in Southeast Asia. That's why it's not in the book, Anna. Well done, this great is a start travelling. Yeah, like got to Thailand and realised we were. 24 hours early for our flight like in a panic-stricken sprint around the airport we're like we're gonna miss our flight and they're like cool yeah it's um it's just it's this time but it's, it's tomorrow <laughs> um it's absolutely just crazy crazy i know this is in the past but i'm worried for you <laughs> I don't know why we were so confident. We like got to Thailand, so then we had this day, and we were like, "Cool." So um, we just went to the bus station. We're like, "Can we just get a bus to Bangkok?" Like, we just want to go to Bangkok. They're like, "Yeah, but where?" You know, it's like people coming here and going. I just want to go to London, and it's like, okay, but there's place. <laughs> there's many different places that the trains and buses go into. She's like, I just want to go to London. It's like, like a sitcom. Oh my goodness me. We had some laughs. Um, but yeah, so actually the logistics and planning of it wasn't too difficult just because, well, apart from being brats, um, we had some money. So um, we got off to a good start. Many memories were made on that trip. <laughs> it was a brilliant nine months. Um, yeah, and, and just took this little tiny guitar and then it was literally tiny it's kind of the sort of thing you'd give a five-year-old in a school like to learn but I was like this is compact because I had lots of other stuff to carry how how long had you been playing guitar for well that was the thing all of those everything was new I hadn't picked up the guitar and had been sort of had a couple of lessons in college but it was really just very very basic so it was sort of that trip was about me relearning how to play guitar committing myself to writing music and you know writing in a journal and writing music as much as I could um because I hadn't really been doing any I hadn't been doing any of that mm. um and as I said my guitarist I had a guitarist so now I accompany myself and I can speak for myself on stage without having Rob talk for me um and all these things but it, it was a long journey to sort of learn how to mold all those things into one mm. to to kind of be self-sufficient on stage without having other people do things for me. Um, but yeah, that nine months was incredible. And I just, it was just the most wonderful feeling knowing that I had just fully committed to music. Like I just felt so ignited in this just newfound passion. Um, and so we sort of went from Nepal to all over Southeast Asia and New Zealand and writing songs and then eventually performing some of those songs along the way so that by the time I came back and decided to move to London, I could actually accompany myself on guitar. I could write my own songs and sing my own lyrics. It was just, yeah, electrifying. And and so getting gigs while you were travelling, was that literally just going to venues and saying, hey, got a song how do you how did you thinking about how anxious you'd been about other parts of performing before how did yeah. you approach venues 
to, to sing. Yeah, so some of them were open mic nights, but then other, I ended up staying in Wellington in New Zealand for about two and a half months, very glamorously um, at that point running out of money and being a cleaner in the hostel. And uh, yeah, and then because I was there for a little while, yeah, I'd just go into venues and pe- people that advertise live music on the out, you know, outside and I'd just pop in and see if I could play. So it wasn't mm-hmm. difficult, but um, yeah, it was just sort of having the willingness to you know just go and speak and ask Mm -hmm. and um so I played quite a lot um while I was there and really started to hone in the craft of speaking to a crowd and I'd made lots of friends we'd stayed in this hostel and made brilliant friends many of um which I'm still brilliant friends with now and they'd come down and I and I was still terrified it wasn't being on stage still wasn't easy for me but I just knew that I could do it so yeah so it wasn't it wasn't tricky at all and just lovely to have you know your earliest memories of you performing your own music to be traveling around the world Mm. doing that because I knew when I came to London like I needed to be ready I didn't want to be practicing in London I wanted to be yeah and exactly it occurs to me that the London scene would be quite different (laughs) just ruthless (laughs) what is it like very honest (laughs) trying to get started as a musician in London because I imagine, like everything else in London, that it's massively competitive, that there will be people from, I guess, all over the country coming down to London in order to you know, try to do the same thing. How do you keep going? What was that experience like trying to get noticed, get gigs, get recognised, get you know, all the stuff you need to do to, to start your career? Yeah, it was a very busy... Um, well, it's been busy ever since I moved here, but I think, yeah, I moved was sort of just quite scared of living in such a big city where there was so much competition. But I think the thing that really just... Moving to London, I kind of... Yeah, I was just very excited and very inspired and, you know, had this suitcase full of songs that I wanted people to hear. But yeah, but but kind of getting going just requires, really, I think, for any creative or anyone in any startup just to be fully committed and to be willing to put your all into it and and that also means a lot of your time so when I wasn't working to pay the rent I was going to open mic nights every single night I also really um, poured myself into the business side of things I knew that now I knew this is what I wanted to spend my life doing that this was also it's like having a startup you know it's it is a business so you know started reading about the industry and kind of what the different roles were what my rights are as an artist um because I just never felt that I wanted to be in a room you know and I'm a you know I'm a blonde woman and I just sort of felt that like I might be judged for being that and that people Mm -hmm. might just think like I'm some ditzy blonde girl that you know and I, I just I wanted people to know that when I went into meetings and when I went into networking events and when I went to play shows that I was intelligent and that I knew who I knew who I was as an artist and what I want from my career um you know to show them that I have drive it's not just about the music they're inextricably linked you know music and the business and you know many artists talk about that kind of the struggle to find that balance and also just accepting that that's part of it um but you you can't not fully engage with it. So, yeah, moving here in the sense that there was kind of many areas that I needed, you know, it's just obviously multifaceted and had to divide my time up. Um, but I think if you're 
like you know you are very friendly and personable being those things also really helps you get along the way and I really just remember that I honestly came here not knowing anyone I did not have past contacts or sometimes you just know people and you have people that can introduce you to people I didn't have that but actually just the real sense of kindness in the people that I met and just from the first open mic night that I played in Manor House you know instantly from playing that the guide connected me with the promoter for another gig and where was that first one in Manor House? Um, the Finsbury oh the big pub on the, on yeah. the hill yeah 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 how did that go? It was amazing. I was, again, just really, really, really frightened. And I just was met with such warmth and kindness. And people had just really reacted to my music in a way that I hadn't expected them to either. Because now, you know, I'm not singing my covers, which is what I was doing before. It's my music. And uh, and and it felt like people were connecting with it. And they connected with my voice. And so, yeah, so one thing sort of led to another. But I... I think, again, people seeing that you are fired up and that you're passionate and that you're that you're working really hard, people also connect with that and sometimes want to be a part of that. You know, if you're sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm kind of just doing music and that doesn't make people want to get involved. So a lot of those early connections came from not also just, just my music, but the... Just the, the energy that you were Yeah, just, just the energy and the commitment to what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it was a very busy, busy first few years making those those connections. But those they you know stood me in good stead for the rest of my career. And um... hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot; we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I wanted to ask you about your songwriting process um, and I appreciate that that might be different for every single artist but what is it what are you trying to connect with when you're writing are you writing for yourself or are you trying to think about what someone else would want to hear what does that writing process look like for you for me it's very varied sometimes I'll just write down words that mean something to me you know in my in my little writing book I like to write everything down before I put it on a computer a laptop um sometimes 
I'll be writing poetry. Sometimes you'll extract things from journals. One of the tracks that I have released called Brother was a mm. moment of, you know, I was recording my one of my EPs called Sweet Charity and I was sat in the studio after we finished recording that day and um, I don't know, it was like midnight, one in the morning and I just sat at the grand piano because it was in this beautiful barn in the middle of nowhere and this song just sort of fell out of me and I know you do hear of these artists you sort of have these little Mm. moments of magic and you can't explain where they come from it's a really incredible moment that's yeah I just think magic is the best way of of explaining it because it almost feels like it doesn't belong to you it almost feels like it's been given to you in that Mm. moment because you know the chords on the piano came out at the same time as the lyrics and the melody Mm. and I put a little voice note on and it was eight minutes or something and it just it was there so I think the writing process is 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 very varied for me um and I often go through periods of you know when I find writing quite tricky and you feel that the inspiration isn't there and then you go through other times where you know you've got so much to say and navigating yourself through those times when you're going through a bit of a a drought and not being hard on yourself has been something I've really had to mm-hmm. learn that it's okay as a creative you do go through spells of of quietness and you know the worst thing you can do is just to be like oh great let's go into self-deprecation mode which I often have done but I'm reading this brilliant book at the moment called Big Magic and um, it's been a, a real encouragement to me um, is that the book is it about um small businesses no it's written by late. Oh God, it's terrible. I can't remember the author's name, but um, actually, we can find it. Let me get yes. it out. She wrote "Eat, Pray, Love." Yes, I was literally. I was going to say that Elizabeth Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, when you were talking about um, the creativity coming through you, she mm. has a TED talk about that, where she describes after writing "Eat, Pray, Love" that she was just terrified yes. about whether she'd be able to do another big impressive creative thing again but trying to reconcile that by thinking back to the idea that maybe she's just an instrument for at times for this you're like the conduit genius or creativity to come through absolutely um and yeah and so when you can kind of you make it less about you and it's more as in something that's been given to you and you're kind of the link to kind of giving it life it's a bit more you know it just feels like there's less pressure on you so that book's been amazing but yeah so and for writing for me I've always um sort of yeah written about my personal experiences and um yeah and I have much to you know I have said much about you know some of the things that I write about and I have many more things to, to say um but yeah, but I, I think later on in the writing process, I will, you know, sort of write about other people's experiences more. But I think sometimes when you've kind of um, been through, you know, uh, certain events that are just really sit at the forefront of your mind, there, there are things that I write about that sit very closely with me still that kind of, I guess, demand my writing attention. And um, is there anything yeah. in particular or... Yeah, there is actually. And I don't, um, it's funny, I've had many conversations with my PR about how I kind of, the certain thing I haven't really wanted to talk about with people. And as a writer, uh, I have a different reaction to that. Some people say, 
well, I think it's good for you to, you know, for people to know what you write about. And actually others will say, but no, I kind of like it because I get to listen to the song and I can take from it what I want and relate that to my own experience. And so for me, I've kind of gone down that latter route because they're just some things that are too painful to talk about. And um, I think maybe one day I will, but I, I think I also... I don't want it to, the focus to just be on that trauma. I kind of, um, kind of nearly everything that I've written really is about this one, um, this one event, but uh, I kind of made a decision early on that I, I didn't want to kind of always have to talk about that just for my own, for my own mental health Mm. and um, just so that people can find their own way through my music and, um, I, you know, get amazing comments from people on social media about um, about my songs and how you know they've touched them, and, and people have shared their personal experiences with me. And I and I I like that people feel that they can do that, mm. and um, that that reaches people without me having to actually. You know, if music can reach people without there having to be an explanation for why it's there, to me, it almost sometimes feels all the more powerful. Mm. Um, without it always being linked with this one thing that's happened. Um, And I think also with sort of media and um, there can be this morbid fascination with tragedy and I just don't feel that I'm, I really want to go down that route yet. So sorry, that wasn't very succinct at all, but yeah. I I have no recommendations or requirements for anyone to be succinct. I really (laughs) am. And that's, I think, even in the way that you talk about it, there's something about you working out where you are mm. with it. And I think that's absolutely valid. And I think we are in an environment, certainly with media and and PR, where you're encouraged to tell all yes. and that it's a way of connecting with people and yeah. people like to know the story and people like to feel that they know you. But equally, it's important for you to feel as if there's something that is yours and yes. is private and yeah. that you don't have to be constantly available to everyone at all times. So yeah. you don't owe anybody anything yeah. in that sense. And it occurs to me anyway, that without going into any minute or very private details, the creative process is itself quite an exposing one Yes, because this is my words and I'd be interesting to get your take on it, but because whenever you create anything, whether that's, you know, my experience baking for someone uh, and doing that on national television, but (laughs) (laughs) or um, whether it's writing a book or writing a song that you are without giving any details, exposing a part of your life or your soul or your heart to the world in that way. Yeah. And I think it's, it's most rawest manifestation because I do co-write, but I write a lot of my music by myself. So um, it's a very introverted, sort of solitary process. And when you're in that environment, it's very easy to be very honest. But there are many things that I express in my lyrics and my music that I, you know, that I haven't spoken in words to, you know, to people. Mm. And yeah, just to just quickly touch back on the media thing, I think also, you know, there's if you want to discuss certain things, once you've, you know, opened up that can, you have to be willing to mm. always talk about that. And I guess my association with it 
is that I don't mind if it's coming from a place of care when people question. But I think with so much of media, mm. there's just a fascination with tragedy and chatting to my my mum about just or sometimes with the news, how I just think the way that, that, that certain events sometimes are reported, mm. you know, there's yeah. a complete lack of sensitivity to families and to the people that are directly affected by it. And so once I feel that it's not coming from a place of care and that it's just to get more people watching and it's to be more outrageous, yeah. I really feel that I don't want to... I don't want to really be a part of that, but I'm all for talking about mental health. Mm. That's something I've, I've absolutely struggled with, you know, um, growing up after this certain thing happened. And, and I'm so pleased that that's, you know, become a topic of conversation now and that it's normal to say to people, well, I feel within the people that I know, um, and even professionally at times, I've had to send emails to say that, you know, like mental health's not been so great. So, you know, excuse the kind of radio silence, um, I think, you know, that's something that I really do talk about, which is obviously um, a byproduct of, you know, the things that I have mm. been through. So talk about that till the cows come home. And we will. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just wanted to touch on the, the morbid curiosity because I think that's absolutely true. Um, and I recently just did with a colleague of mine, Dr. Sarah Vora, a podcast about suicide prevention. And it was really a response to, I think there are a, few, a lot of things going on. So in that week where there were those two kind of quite high profile suicides, there were also statistics talking about teen suicides on the rise. And obviously we were very worried about that. And one of the things, the first thing is that people keep saying, you know, if you're feeling low, reach out, reach out, reach out. But we can't expect the sad or the depressed or the, you know, the person who's in crisis to be the one that reaches out. So we were trying to help people have practical ways of trying to reach out to people who might be in need. But the second thing was that I think, particularly when a tragedy occurs. And, and so there's a section at the end of that episode uh, for people who are bereaved by suicide to watch out for the morbid curiosity and that they don't owe anybody an explanation. They don't have to try to justify anything. They don't need to like quell somebody else's curiosity. Like it's their grief is their grief and they are entitled to be to be left alone with it and that they don't owe anybody anything else. And I think that's absolutely true. And I think the media needs to really watch themselves, frankly, and be much more responsible. It's scary where it's going. I remember when there'd been one of the horrific plane crashes and this reporter had literally started going through a suitcase. I just thought, where in your mind, like, how have you lost, you know, any, yeah. But I just was like, what's wrong with you? Like, I just feel like that's, psychotic mm. to for that to be your natural reaction and anyway it's something I've I've been thinking about maybe trying to start a petition on just kind of for more just respect for families you know and it's just when you get these moments where they want to get like the reaction of the family when they've been given news on certain things and I just think there needs to be mm-hmm. of course there are things in the news that we need to hear about but the way they are reported can be controlled mm. and I think that the news absolutely prefers for the most part to give more because they think that it gets more viewers and people are more likely to watch where actually everyone is just desensitized we're every you know and again i know everyone says the same thing but it is true people are used to turning on the news and hearing that there's been more suicide bombs in the middle east and there's refugees i mean i just it was tragic to read this week that the number of it's nearly 35,000 people have lost their lives coming over from Africa, you know, on the 
like migrant ships and um you know it's just um just you know horrific and i think there just needs to be you need to just focus on more support and caring for people and less on just being like oh my god can you believe this thing's happening yeah that it turns someone's actual lived experience just into a bit of a titillation Mm. and a little bit of a absolutely a story for you to read over your morning coffee on the way yes. in. And you influence, you're we're influencing, you know, an entire world. When you are exposing an entire planet to such explicit images and videos of, of, of these traumas, I just think that uh, you're not helping, you're not helping anyone. Mm-hmm. You're just making everyone just desensitised and media still have a responsibility for how they are influencing a planet and a generation you have some responsibility so care a bit more yeah no i think the desensitization issue is massive and i don't read the free sheets so all those free newspapers that get handed out i don't read them because again it's it's just this very easy way to get hold of usually horrific news (laughs) on your way in and you just consume it as if it's nothing but i think what we miss is that it does do something to us internally i think it does increase our stress levels it does make us more anxious it does make us more worried and concerned about the person you're sitting next to and i think we really have to be mindful i I say that you need to stand as a gatekeeper at the the doorway to your mind. You need to do your best to manage what goes in and what goes out because it it does affect you. Yeah, it's a brilliant way of describing it um, in that way because it's hard to be in control of it when it just also just feels like so normal. Mm. Like it's normal to sit and read a newspaper, but actually when you're like, no, this is ridiculous anyway but I just I just feel quite strongly about it because I just think actually the people that are directly affected by so many things are the last people to get the care and the thought it's everything else around it that that takes first place and I mean how messed up is that when that's kind of like the hierarchy of what matters are there any um, mental health campaigns that you feel you would like to p- particularly highlight? Because you said that you are happy talking about mental mm. health issues. Are there any things that you think are really important for people to understand or to take more seriously? Well, I think the conversation of just... I, I think sometimes when you... You know, like when people that really suffer with depression, and they, there's... I think the difficulty is for some people that's or many people, that's something that they will suffer with for their whole life and carry with them. And so the struggle sometimes in even talking about it is that you just feel that, not that people won't understand, but that it will be something that will probably be repeating throughout your life. So sometimes you just feel like you're saying the same things over and over and actually that it gets to a point that people are just bored of hearing it or they just, you know, if they're not kind of suffering with something in a similar way that it sort of just becomes like old news um is depression something that's recurrent for you yeah i think it's something for me that really in the last few years i've just realized that i've got it and then again that's me self-labeling it but all the signs have pointed towards it and I just never really looked at it in that way. And so I think being more open and it, w- and it would make sense for kind of, you know, the things that I've been through that I would have it. Um, but there's sort of been a real freedom in me just being more open and being able to say to friends and family, like when I've needed to cancel and things like that, just being like, I'm just not feeling good. And then they get it. Mm. And for people, I think even just doing the small things 
introducing small things into your routine with how you deal with having um, a certain sort of mental illness is really important. It's not always about, don't always feel that you can transform your life, but just being able to be like, you know what, I just, I need to be at home tonight and things like that make a difference to me um, rather than going out and feeling, you know, I am a very jolly person and to my friends and on stage, like I, I'm quite, you know, flamboyant and I can be quite loud and, um, but that really is uh, one part of me and um, there really is a, another really large part of me that's very different to that character. Mm. So, yeah, just for the conversation to continue, it's so important and to be able to feel that it's not something that you have to, you know, just suffer with on your own and for people just not to even know that you've, you're struggling. So, just a, just a simple one for me with that, really. Thank you. And I think it makes the point that we do all have different aspects to ourselves. Yes. And I think both for ourselves, but also as observers, it can be quite compelling to try to portray only like one facet of our personalities. Mm-hmm. Like, look up and, oh, this is Anna. This is what she's like. She's cheerful. She's bubbly. She wears a hat. This is, <laughs> this is a whole story. Um, a very kind of two-dimensional representation of a human life. And of course, that's never the case. Mm-hmm. That there is always, even to ourselves, dark corners that either we've never been to or we don't like to look at or perhaps that we don't even like about ourselves but that is the nature of being human yes and if we can accept that then we can stop doing the the destructive things Mm. that we do in order to try to avoid that yes and it is and that's the thing it's normalizing the fact that we're not just the person we are when we go out and meet our friends for a drink at the pub and it's not that you're living a lie it's just that there's more to you than that and but it is the same with everybody mm-hmm. and not just feeling like it's particular people that, that live like that and uh but th- i just think with the conversation continuing that's the only thing that can help sort of bring a bit more freedom for a society that can feel quite downtrodden and sort of secretly dealing Mm. with things that really can take over your life and for many people tragically ending up in suicide and that's not everyone's reality um but it's important that everyone feels a freeness just to be real with where they're at even if you don't have depression just being like no i just having a bad day just don't fancy it you have to <laughs> rather than just lie <laughs> exactly. which is what we all do and we're like well a lot of people do and i used to be guilty of it and i'd be like oh sorry i'm just gonna have to cancel like i just really just really sick just vomit everywhere uh you know <laughs> can't make it out no clean clothes now um just being like nah just don't want to talk just want to sit at home and watch Netflix or listen to Kimberly's podcast. Um, whatever. Make you feel just, better. Truth, just being truthful <laughs> is always the right option for me. Just truth, 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 truth. Honesty all the way. Mm. So you've just got back from a tour of, was it a tour of Europe or just a tour of Germany? Germany. Germany. Lovely Germany. Um, so how much. did it go? How, yeah. how, did the the German audiences respond to your your work your music yeah Germany's great I love touring there they yeah a lot of artists break in Germany before they do sometimes in the UK it's really interesting they have a love for music and I don't know a respect for it that I haven't always found in the UK I mean they're like yeah they're willing to you know they want to 
pay money to come and see your show. They want to buy all your merch. They want to keep in touch. Like they're just on it, very organised, and they clap for a very long time <laughs> after you finish songs. Just that bit of extra time that you're like, okay, I don't know where to look now. Uh, <laughs> but but it's great. It's fantastic. Um, so yeah, so that um was great, and I I love touring and now kind of not having stage fright I do still get nervous to play but I love being on stage and for me that is one of the most well one of my favourite parts I love reaching new audiences and seeing how how and if and you know and when your music really touches people and connects because so much of of your career is writing quietly on your own with one other person being in the studio away like social media all of that done on your phone you know, when you're on tour, that's one of the only times you're truly connecting, like face to face with people and leaving behind all the stats of how you're doing on, you know, many websites and streaming services. You get to see firsthand that people love your music and they they want to hear more. And, and that to me is just, oh, it's invaluable. So I tour a lot and, you know, I've had the opportunity to tour in the States first time recently where I ended up sort of gaining US management and other things and yeah heading out on tour later in the year so it's busy but I just as much as I can be I will be singing (laughs) and how are you at taking compliments I ask that because you keep saying the way people love my music and I wonder whether there's a slight distance that you put in that rather than saying people love my voice or (laughs) they love me and I wonder I mean it's obviously a very polite and humble way of putting it but I wonder whether it also serves as a slightly different psychological process as well of of purpose of um, helping you to manage what it feels like to take that kind of admiration from an audience yeah compliments they are awkward I don't know why (laughs) I just like my whole body is tensing up right now it's like you go into this mode like you do a show and after some people are coming to chat to you and they say the loveliest things, but it's almost like your brain won't allow them in because you're so busy focusing on the fact that you're like, oh, thank you. And you're trying to sound genuine, which you, inside you are genuinely grateful because this is the confirmation and the validation that the music that you, you know, that means something to you means something to a stranger. It's brilliant. It's it's a pat on the back. And but I just I yeah I'm waiting for the day where I just feel comfortable being given a compliment and there isn't something just well I mean you can even see where I'm sitting now I just she's literally legs crossed arms crossed looking sideways nearly in my mouth I'm like (laughs) ah um but but you but also at the same time like you do you 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 need that from from your audience and and I'm so grateful when people come up to say that so regardless of how awkward it makes me feel you know inwardly I'm just like oh thank god like I am doing something right and I think with artists too that there can sometimes be an assumption that you think that you are amazing and that you know how talented you are and because other people think you are they sort of because you're doing it as a job they kind of just assume that you think the same. And actually, for me, I still get very insecure. I still have moments where I'm like, oh, I can't write any good songs. Nothing's good. I can't sing anymore. Why am I doing this? <laughs> I should change my career. Uh, can't cope. And and it's so lovely when people come up. And often I will say that to them. I'm like, thank you for saying it because 
there's so much going on in this brain of mine um and and you don't forget when people pay you those compliments so please don't stop even (laughs) if I like scrunch my face up (laughs) have you ever had a gig that was disastrous and if so how did you recover from it oh god I have one in particular that was so bad it's actually got bright red I could just weep with I mean now it's hilarious and anyway did this show how long ago the scene for us sorry where were you Harold so I so it was it was a random gig that was only last year um, and which is just so embarrassing. It was so recently, but it was just one of those random gigs that you booked on the side, didn't need to promote it. I was like, great, it's near the beach. I'll go to the beach for the day and I'll just go and sing this little random show and I'll, I'll come back. Arrived there. They had no PA, you know, there was nothing to amplify my voice. Um, the room was beautiful, but it was just, anyway, arrived and I had this table of 25 people that had booked to apparently see me sing, but they were having a three course meal at the same time. So it was really nice, actually. My mum and dad were there and I'd gone in just to sort of, you know, say hi, gone back to meet my parents on the beach and I just was like, I can't do this. Um, I'm just going to have a meltdown. I need, we need to find an excuse. I can't. My parents are like, it's going to be fine. I'm sure it's okay. And I was like, no, you haven't been in there. I'm telling you, I promise you I'm not exaggerating. Anyway, I digress. Went in, no PA, started to try and sing unamplified. Of course, no one could hear me. This table were like, they were speaking so loudly. I was just inside <laughs> my just all the blood and just everything was just flowing out from my toes I just thought I'm not going to make it through anyway so I stopped after the first song I went over to the guy at the bar and I was like look I can't do this I've never done this in a a show before I just said I'll do anything I'll come back another day we'll sort out the PA like don't worry he was like oh look can you just try in the other section of this it was it was a pub basically and um, and then I went in to the other side the other people are a bit quieter, but, you know, I'm, like, in the way. Like, the waiters are trying to get past me with the bloody fish and chips. And then we're by the toilets, and every time the hand dryer goes off, you can hear the hand dryer. And I just, honestly, I just wanted to cry. I've never been so embarrassed in my whole life. And then just to finish it off, like, I just was so humiliated. I'm so embarrassed that I should have just lied and told you it wasn't last year, but I'm being truthful. Then... The, the fire alarm starts going off. I was like, are you flipping kidding me? Like, physically, like, there surely wasn't anything else that could go wrong. So it's like, wow, 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 wow. Then it goes off. So I start singing again. And then it starts going off again. And then oh intermittently God. for sort of the next five minutes. So if you think, like, if you set a time, you know, a timer for five minutes, that's a long time of me starting songs and having to stop because this alarm keeps on going off. Anyway, I just was like, I need to start drinking. <laughs> so at least we got some G&T flowing. Anyway, finished the set. How many and, songs? Um, no, I sang for a good hour. So... I'm actually glad that that happened because I think it's an amazing story. <laughs> it's an amazing story of how I just really persevered in the face of, you know, um, character. Well, building. just, it was anyway, sorry, what a horrible noise to make on a podcast, <laughs> but it was, it was hideous. 
and um, I hope I never have another show like that ever again and my parents yeah and my dad started singing along in the songs too I mean I just was like this couldn't get less like a gig you can hear everyone can hear my dad just like singing along that was that was lovely that wasn't bad but I just you know I'm, I, this will never it will never happen ever again I will never be in the way of someone getting their fish and chips so the never. next time you think you'll just leave you'll just no next time I just would you know I'm quite stubborn and I don't mind laying things out on the table when they need to be <laughs> uh, but next time I will just I I'm, I will reschedule um, but a, a gig like that will never happen it wasn't part of a tour it was just a random I just thought it'd be nice it was by the beach it's a beautiful bit of the, the country. I'm not going to name where it was. Um, but I just thought, yeah, that's fine. And then I get to hang out with my parents for the evening. Lovely. Um, no, no, I'm going to tell that story forever and slightly weep as I tell it. Thank you for sharing that. That's <laughs> one of the funniest stories. Life affirming. <laughs> you, you talk about being stubborn. Is that particular trait something that you feel you have to um, use in order to make sure you're taken seriously? Uh, you mentioned earlier on like being a woman in, in the music industry, and I suppose a woman going into any kind of negotiation perhaps feels that, the, or particularly in a, a masculine-dominated environment, you have to be prepared to kind of make your case quite clearly. Is that something that you feel? I've, I've always been stubborn so that is just a part of me as my mum will happily tell you and my dad <laughs> um, but yeah but I think sort of implementing that into the sort of framework of how you do business is important there's a stubbornness in that I know who I am as an artist and I'm not willing to compromise on that for certain opportunities and um, and but yeah, but I think it's it's kind of imperative, really, because otherwise I think it's just very easy to just get tossed about in the wind and be very affected by everybody's opinions and what people think you should be and where you should be going and what your sound should be like and and yeah, and then with the nitty gritty of, of business, um, there've been times when I have had to deal with awkward situations, but the only way I've been able to deal with them is by having educated myself on how things are meant to be and then by being stubborn and not minding putting my foot down and being like this is not okay and this is not how it works but the two you know you can be stubborn and but you've got to kind of be informed you've got to be informed at the same time too okay so you have a new single out Mm. tell us about it what's the inspiration what's what's it called (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah so it's called what i've become and it's sort of my first venture into using the electric guitar um i've sort of my whole career just been using acoustic guitar which i've loved um but evolving is something that is important and actually something that I struggled with for quite a long time because I sort of thought, well, no, I like the music that I make and I don't like feeling like I'm being told I need to evolve. But eventually, when I came around to the idea that I kind of liked the natural evolution that was taking place, I was all right with it. Um, and um, and moving over onto electric guitar has been part of that because it's sort of inspired different melodies and 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 music and you know that's actually been incredibly exciting for me too and yeah so the new single came out a couple of weeks ago have had a really lovely reaction to it It was sort of slightly um nervous because it's a different sound to the kind of music that i've been making before 
And yeah, and the, the track is really just sort of um, asking the question, you know, when you sort of have been left behind, it's, you know, whoever and whatever the situation is that you've been left behind by, it's sort of asking that person the advice that they would give you on how to cope with the world and the kind of life that you've been left in. So just asking for help, really. <laughs> oh my goodness, somebody help me. Um, undercover SOS please. for Literally advice. Like, nine, 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 mate, I need some help, please. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so I'm getting back into the studio in a couple of weeks with an amazing producer called Matt Ingram that's worked with Leanne Havas and Laura Marling and artists that I adore to yeah, record the next EP, which is out in October. And uh, and that's sort of really following on with that new direction and kind of like a bigger sound. And obviously, for you know people that haven't heard me before, I think the music that's that's come before has yeah, it's it is it's sort of soulful and honest and and definitely fits within the singer songwriter genre. Where I think this is sort of the sounds is growing and it's getting bigger and. I'm very much influenced by Jeff Buckley, who I just adore, you know, vocally and his tone, but also, yeah, his melodies and, and lyrics. And so that's definitely inspired some of the new the new music. Um, and then, yeah, and then I'll be heading back out on a UK and a European tour and then definitely back to the States to spend some more time there. So, yeah, it's busy. Everything's very scheduled, you know. So you feel like artists, it's all like art and just chill. And it's like, nah, everything's planned out for ages. <laughs> it sounds like it's really going really well. It's good. It's, it's, I'm very, very committed to it. And I still, I only, you know, I only released my first EP in 2015. You know, it wasn't that long ago. So when I say career, it's still, you know, the rudimentary stages, but a lot has happened and I've had some amazing support and the team is getting bigger but they're the right people that really believe in the music that I'm making and where I want to take it and they're just sort of like the great little you know pushing my back up the hill and they're the right people to do it and it's been it's been a it's been a great year and there's great support just Mm -hmm. not only from industry but just fans getting things into the charts and yeah it's been good it's been good I think all all the way along you've your story makes the point it's not just about having a talent but all of the support that you've had all the way along from those teachers um, singing teachers and everybody who's supported you and believed in you has Mm. been have been a part of the story of getting you here and hopefully you know the rest of the success that you'll have going forward yeah they they have been and it's lovely to feel well, to know that there's so many people that are a part of your journey, you know, because I perform as a, have a band for certain shows and stuff, but I, you know, I am a solo artist and uh, it kind of makes you feel like, you know, there's a bit more of a, a family around you because I think to exist in this industry, yes, it requires talent and to be, just be able to write songs and perform and be good on stage and, and all of those things, but it requires a huge amount of perseverance and not giving up and I think everybody questions their um, their careers many many times over but each time when there have been difficulties and you know everything's uncertain you have to make peace with the fact that you know you don't get your degree and you you get your job it's uncertain but that's also part of the magic of it but you you commit to it like a marriage and through all the difficult times I've always 
if I've felt like maybe I just need to give up instantly in my mind, it's like, no, this is what you were born to do and what you you have to spend the rest of your life doing. So you carry on. So you ask the question, but you just brush it off and carry on. So you've got to be strong and not get too downhearted when things don't always go the way that you want or expect them to. It does. It builds character and you learn. And, you know, I'm not the same person I was three years ago. And, um, and that's a good thing. Sounds like really lovely advice for life. Anna, if people want to follow you, download your music, catch up with you, give you compliments, where can they do that? Where can they find you? Um, So my name sometimes can be quite difficult to spell, but it's just Anna Pancaldi, P-A-N-C-A-L-D-I. That's a horrible jingle that I just made up there. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely hideous. Oh dear. But yeah, on facebook and instagram twitter everywhere which i feature on heavily i love instagram i'm just just a bit obsessed with that um but yeah keep in touch and have a listen obviously spotify but i do you know sell real things too that you can hold in your hands like cds if you've got a walkman retro you know you can listen to it on that and uh, and i've got my own gin which is quite nice that's quite quite yummy and other bits and bobs that um you can hold in your hands that's well thank you for joining me (laughs) thank you so much for having me it's been really lovely to chat and that's it thanks again to Anna for sharing her time and her talent the song you heard right at the start of the episode was a snippet of an acoustic track called Nightingale I also highly recommend you check out the songs Keep On Keeping On Out Ahead and The Heartbreaking Black Tears and her new song What I've Become is out now so do go and listen to that too I'll be back soon with some more guests and some more food stories and subscribers are the first to hear the new episode so do hit that subscribe button. That just leaves me to thank you all very, very much for listening and until next time, I wish you the very best of health. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 